You are listening to Mark Hatmaker Rough and Tumble Raconteur. This is a grab bag of old school Western martial arts, resurrected indigenous ways and empirical musings tinged with a heavy dose of respect, admiration, let's call it hero worship, for these hosses of yore. Crew, this is Mark Hadmaker coming to you from the Comancheria. Today, let's talk, uh, we're going to kind of do a little ramble through a Savage 7 sequence. Uh, on our Black Box material recently, we started breaking uh, material into uh, basically uh, seven units here. And uh, you can kind of call this a, uh, the ramble is some of the behind the scenes of the thinking, some of the strategic uh, uh, nuts and bolts behind the, uh, the tactical demonstrations that we do on that, uh, the newest volume, which is uh, Black Box Project number 22. In the uh, show description, I'll provide a link there if you want to go over there and have a, uh, have a look at that. But here, ears on is just fine. Uh, the first thing we talk about is a little bit of unleaded conditioning. Uh, we're in the uh, shoulder stability unit, where in the past we've talked about core stability, we've talked about hip stability, we've moved into shoulder stability uh, with this volume and volume 21. We'll put all the shoulder stability into one spot and an, an unleaded volume all of its own eventually. Uh, but right now we want to make sure the black box of tears have the first whack of the material. And the one aspect we will be covering here is a bit of rotator cuff stability, particularly an exercise or an aspect called the bottom hole, H-O. Uh, L-E. And if uh, you are a grappler, usually if you use any, if you're a thrower, you throw punches, you might wind up with some rotator cuff stiffness or tears uh, you know, somewhere down the road. If you're a grappler, I can almost guarantee you, particularly if you play any sort of catch, I can almost guarantee to you, uh, you, you face some problems there with some uh, uh, restrictions of movement and stuff. This exercise, actually, uh, there's five total that run on the stability, uh, the shoulder stability unloaded. Uh, here where this one kind of opens up the door to how to get uh, at that, this little aspects of it and train in. And you'll see some people who do lots of uh, rotator cuff work, and a lot of it's quite good, you know, Ben Patrick amongst them. Uh, but there's a little aspect that's left off of what the old schoolers were doing, and then once you see it, you realize, oh, this is really specific to how you probably got tore up in the first place. Because if we're not just, if we're not talking paintbrush locks or, or uh, Kimura locks, we're actually... Um, Americana locks. We're actually talking old school top wrist locks, old school double wrist locks, which are triple snaps. This addresses where you might have had the injury coming in the first place, and we get back on top of it with it. And keep in mind, none of these are stretches. Uh, we kind of try and labor that in the pliant physique aspect of unloaded, but I want to kind of lay out the idea for you. If you feel the need to stretch, if the stretching is your corrective, and uh, we, we talked about some of the postures you'll see in things can have a yogic, uh, yoga look to it or a yogic look to it. We kind of give you the historical background for why that may be. Something that may appear to be something may not actually uh, be that. There's a big school of thought and old schoolness, and you'd, you would really have to test it for yourself to find out if this turns up for you. But it basically says if you've got a problem that you feel like you need to stretch it to work something out, it might actually mean you need to run the other way. Way. So, for example, let's say you're having a great deal of uh, problems and let's say outside of the hip, inside the hip. So you feel like the, uh, the, the correct mode of, uh, of uh, going after that is, you know, assume some deeper uh, stretching positions, do some box stretches and couch stretches. Old schoolers would say, no, 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 no. You're forgetting that all the bursts lie on these outside bony points. And whenever you're doing any of these stretches here, you're actually creating more uh 
uh, putting more pressure on these uh, these fluid field sacs in these areas, which actually will lead to uh, more irritation and more inflammation. You may not feel it at the time because of the uh, an aspect of the physiology called lateral disinhibition, where you're taking away some pain at the moment, but actually you wind up with it later, and then you think, oh, well, the stretching helped, they're forbidden, you keep going back to it. It's almost like popping ibuprofen the entire time. The key is if you have to keep returning to particular training modalities to take away a bit of pain, you might have to re- invert the question and causal error and ask yourself, wait a minute, is this by any chance, something that's fostering the pain or perhaps even causing it in the first place. Uh, we get really deep in that, uh, some of that idea and lots of the black box uh, material, but I would just uh, introduce you to that idea. And I know it's kind of like anathema to many people, or it's a heretical, you know, there's no way that can be true. Best way to do it is have an experiment, of, you know, run yourself for 12 weeks and say, I'm dropping all my yoga, I'm dropping all my stretching material, and I'm going to allow strength through the holes to find out if that gives me, returns me to true mobility and uh, get myself out of all this, this passive work. Well, I'll step off that uh, soapbox. Let's move back into violence. And the uh, next section of the Savage 7 uh, on this particular volume of uh, Black Box 22, we talk about inner upright scuffling. We talk about the collar stud punch. Uh, in the old days, uh, we, are, we now have shirts with fastened collars, attached collars to them. Uh, at earlier times, uh, collars and cuffs were uh, made of celluloid or like materials and slid on at the end. So you had this kind of shirt as a piecemeal with your button up, and then after that, you applied these collars and cuffs. It was a of a, a bit of a dress uh, a dress up on after bit a piece. So when you see collar, uh, when we think about cufflinks and uh, collar studs, these are basically ways to either one, keep them affixed, or two, to adorn them as a bit of bling to dress everything up. In uh, old school street dentists, I mean, we've talked about them early days of mob enforcing, early days of, you know, grabbing some money. And I'm sure this punch has been, uh, the collar stud punch has been around since man uh, been slinging hands. But here I just fell in love with whatever you hear it actually defined as a collar stud punch. Or actually, you hear this phrase, hit him in the studs. We'll cover that. There's basically two ways to do it. We'll cover uh, how to do it. It's super, it's remarkably simple. And the beauty of it is it can be used as a, uh, a conversation stopper. And like, for example, hey, this guy's talking too much. I don't want to hear it anymore. So we can get it. We can really negotiate while he's gasping for air. Or it was also used to what's calling uh, opening up two territories. And we're going to, it's just really whenever you're hit with it, you will, uh, you'll see what we're talking about. The upper line, wide open and the bottom line the inverted v that we try to uh, get away from in boxing the inverted v just splits so wide it's astonishing you can hit him with that heart to heart uh, punch we threw at him black box number one it's just so we're talking about you know take their breath sit them on their ass and boom go from there so collar stud punch beautiful bit of history and uh the one we're in particular using taking the cadence off of the old school mob or la cosa nostra now, when we get to more upright scuffling, we're going to, t- we're going to continue talking about leg diving. We opened that up uh, on the last volume. We talked about it on, on Black Box number 21. We continue on, on with this one. We gave you, we're giving you the top 10 ways to get into it. And the last one we talked about, everything was head led. Here we're talking about how it can be elbow led. And we're, and we're saying elbow led. You're coming from the good position. You're coming from the inside uh, 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 elbow uh, hookup because that's the rough and tumble hookup. We don't use the sport of outside. But we will get to it down the road if you wind up through someone's superior position outside how you can do it and I want to make sure we really really dial in deep about what a leg dive is a leg dive is not a double leg takedown it can look like it when you see if you freeze frame right at the end because you can see a hookup that looks mighty mighty similar but it just ain't it a a double leg implies you have to take a shot a penetration step Uh, even if you're not banging knee it assumes that there is enemy territory to be covered it assumes that you were close enough to touch him close enough to hit him with a jab and you've got to cover that remaining uh, uh, step 
then that's why that would be a double leg, a single leg, uh, a low single, anything along these like calf roping. These are shooting. You've got to cover enemy territory. Uh, leg diving assumes you don't have to because most of the time when you're on the street fight, things are super duper tight. And if you're in there, if you're already in a clinch position or you're already in there throwing hands or they've taken the step in, uh, there's no step on leg dive. It is right on top. I mean, you were, you were there to do this. So to make the true leg dive happen, there is zero lift. The hands, even whenever you go down there, and the hands may be what would look like a double leg gathering position. They're just uh, pale and paltry assist to what's going on. Everything is about how you upset the skeletal stacking here. If we know that really proper uh, postures you might find uh, if we think Kanabayutu, we even see this in the in uh, stalking techniques which is you know with true posturing is going to be when you when not standing up straight it means you put your shoulders over your hips then you next you line your hips over your knees then your knees line up over over the uh, the center of the foot many of us don't even stand like that in everyday life we're allowed gravity or a droop or poor habits uh, to pull us out of play and if you look at every one, they have what's often called a postural shelf. What leg diving does is you find whatever someone's postural shelf is. You can tell it is by someone as soon as they stand out of a chair or when they're, they're walking toward you, you see where their shelf is. And leg diving just exploits whatever postural shelf they've got. And it's a, a kind of a straight down drive. It's so hard to explain. And even if you kind of watch it, it can either look like a double leg or it can look like you're faking until you have it applied to your hips just once. And you go, well, shit, are you serious? And you go, yeah, that's really all there is to it. So again, on leg diving, it's exposing the pin, uh, the uh, the pins, uh, the legs. That is whichever leg you want to really emphasize on. That slight spin on it and the pit. And you keep in mind with the, the diving, there is no head behind or go under. That's just not used there because the head's super important to what's going on. But that bit of a hip shelf is mighty mighty key to what's going on. Uh, a next aspect of these, the seven. When we go to the ground, will we do? A few, uh, actually, we go three aspects in the ground this time. We're doing something that I feel like I should have, and I'll cop to it. I should have started with, with a black box volume one. We should call it just the ready position. It's the quarter position, ready position, or and then we'll go from that dire uh, directly in the tripod ready. And what I mean is we should have done that right up front is we jumped right in and go, hey, here's a super cool submission. I mean, from the old school. And we will continue to do that. Don't get me wrong. But we kind of take the uh, the Lou uh, Thez aspect of where he was saying at the beginning of his training, he felt like for more than a year, he was always on the bottom because his coach started him on the bottom because he wanted says if you can get out from underneath that's going to be you really you've learned something if you're always starting out on top and learning on top you got nothing so uh, scrambling from the bottom is the way to go and if uh, we go with that idea we're not we're not talking about the bottom in your back yet or anything like that obviously we'll cover that but we're going to be talking about what it's like to be in the sprinters blocks of the old school quarter position which is you know you would think hands and knees but it's more than that it's a six-legged table concept we'll talk about what the table weight distribution is uh even though uh, live feet versus dead feet, it may not even be what you think there. And then we'll talk about where all the pressure is whenever you're down in this position, because it should be locked and loaded. This is your sprint position, get out of the blocks. This is not a static hold. Here I am. For this brief moment, you're stuck or you are in quarter. You've got to make sure that you are ready to be spring loaded. And that's what the old school rough and tumble quarter will do for you. And then the next 
after that half second that you're there, the next quarter second will take you to what's called the tripod ready position, which so many of your escape stand-ups, reversals will come from. And this is so super important. It's going to create, talk about how you're going to create this right angle amongst your base and the uh, concept called a knee split. The knee split is huge because often when we see people come out from underneath, if they, even if they're going straight for a grand beer or whatever, we'll see there's no sp knee split involved. Old schoolers were, it's a beautiful concept of this, uh, your near side knee does what's called a knee split no matter what your first move out of the block is because it sets up everything else this is to follow whether it's your roll whether it's your sit out whether it's your switch whether it's your power switch whether it's going directly into a rolling double wrist like whether it's into your wings does not matter the knee split is huge about how you get out of this thing even if you want to flop and turn this over into a bottom scissors or a guard or half guard position knee split makes all this easier and it really is a lot of it's just a changing how you think about it now when we're doing these we'll we'll apply uh, we'll give you some solo drills to make sure you can work them if you still don't have uh, training partners for you yet because we know the uh, pandemic uh, pandemic kind of wanes up and down and we'll also provide clearly you know how to do it with a uh, partner as well now, while we're still on the ground, uh, we're still talking about uh, some aspects versus the JJ game. Uh, last time we talked about it, I told you I really wanted you to have, even though I've done eight hours and more, uh, but we've got a whole one coming with busting the legs is about, you know, you know, guard passing and such. Here I'm saying really when we break it down in black box material, I basically feel like you need five classes to, uh, of, to pass. In the, uh, the last volume, we talked about uh, drag passing, two ways to do that. Now, if that's your jab of the, uh, of the passes, well, then your, your cross of the passes or the old one, two is going to be this elevator shaft pass because almost any pass you got versus anyone who has uh, any candiness about them, which is tons of people now, so many good back players, there's going to be an elevator inserted, all right? They're going to put in an elevator. They're going to put in a hook they're going to put in uh, uh well you're going to put in a butterfly ride our job whenever this occurs is to exploit it we do not worry about that whenever the elevator shaft is passed our job is to pin that butterfly to stick that butterfly we will use that elevator i mean that yeah their elevator place their butterfly a ride to make our pass even easier hence the name the elevator shaft pass it's really tough to go into the esoteric of how that one's done but once you see it and then you apply it a couple of times talking about how to take a shin from a from a vertical uh, to a horizontal boom you're cooking with gas now, our next section of the Savage 7, we are continuing on talking about vicious, vicious planes knife. We'll still be talking about attacking above the bone shield, which we picked up on our last volume. This time, we're specifically talking about a tactic called the taquinero, and we'll get in that a little deeper for just a moment. First and foremost, you know, self-confession, everything I priorly did with Blade out the window. I mean, there's no numbering system. Uh, I no longer feel that, that this is rooted in reality or needed. It's too close to just trying to mimic, uh, you know, school uh, plus the arms. I mean, it's, it's, it's too much trying to be fencing whenever it's not fencing at all. A, a knife is, even though it's a blade, it is not a fencing weapon. And we got to get rid of that dueling aspect. I mean, any sort of viewing, if you just view enough real actual knife fights, you realize this, this just isn't going to manifest. Uh, even if you think, well, these two people were untrained, I'm gonna, I still, yeah, it just is not going to manifest. If you get you and your buddies, no matter where your skill is, if you, if you turn the heat up enough, it, it goes back to looking very much like these prison sticks. And that's where you can actually find a system. And I would think this would be the plains knife aspect of approaching it that you go, Hey, it has the look of that. It can, look like an unwieldy crazy chaotic scrum and at the same time you still pull some super 
aggressive tactics and strategies that do not seem to fail, uh, seem to follow the same path of entropy. They still manifest and push out. So on this volume, we will be talking again the weapon hand position, why there's primarily it's one position to be in the grip. We talk about throat bone, bone shield, the upright target, the realities of drifting targets. I think this is beautiful. You'll see this in the in the planes uh, knife thought, where most of the time we'll, we'll see the the, the targets uh, discussed. Some standing straight upright, like we're looking at a, an anatomy outline, uh, where you're going to realize no, the human animal changes as soon as they assume stance or movement. All those some of those targets just disappear, and how you have to alter what you're looking for. And uh, basically, in this, we're focusing on something called the uh, tequinero. I've broadly or generally, you can you can call this called pressing. And it's uh, if we freeze frame it at the end of it, it looks like someone would go, oh, it looks like you just did a slash or a slice right here. And you go, yeah, it looks like that in that freeze frame. But the application of how this happens, something completely different. You put the thrust on it. It is mighty, mighty aggressive, particularly when you take it your, to your post work. Uh, hell, you can break a board with this is how these the impact it's hitting. It's just such a jarring shot. And it does very much to put... Uh, someone on their heels and we realize most of the combination work in planes knife is not out from the outside might be a probe or two but after that it's this straight in killing get to the inside position anyway uh, enough of that unpleasantness even though it's mighty fun to work on and last but not least what we're working on in that seven we've been slowly unloading uh, our suaketu program which is some of the more esoteric aspects it's not like we're talking meditation or anything but we are trying to slowly get us into some old contemplative practices to uh, understand where we're doing our engagement with the actual physical world uh, last time we gave you uh, the just uh, some of the basic attentional walks to get you going. This time we start stepping into literally into the world of uh, skulking, and we're talking with a drill called the Nemito, which is essentially translates to the stalking walk. It was is still used to educate both stillness of movement because we forget lots of uh, movement at the time was still hunting because if you're not using rifle scopes and getting close to anything. You had to make sure that uh, you could be close to something, whatever it had, the ability to pause freely at every moment in your uh, in your stride without losing any balance whatsoever, and also do this absolutely quietly. There's uh, We're going to give you uh, four drills so you can do that. Three of them are things you can do absolutely uh, by yourself to make sure you're, you're testing and bringing out this prowess and this awareness and uh, with gradually uh, 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 raising the stakes with the, how the environment uh, could be your obstacle to yourself. We'll start you out in a bare flat ground and then you know, step it up from there. And then a partner drill that I really think, even if your partner is just someone who's willing to walk outside, with you for five to 15 minutes and just, you know, say a word. I mean, it's two words for you occasionally. And this allows you to really see it in because it takes away the intentional aspect of learning to make sure that you're quiet. Because whenever we get to choose, whenever we stop, that misses the point of what a lot of early skulking was. You don't choose whenever you're making your movements or your freezes, the enemy does or the presence of the enemy or the, the presence of the quarry. Again, that was just some of the background of what we're doing here in that, of this particular volume. That would be Black Box Volume 22. Again, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll link to it in the description if you want to go over there and have a, a further look at it. Or, hell yeah, come aboard the entire Black Box Project, which is that subscription service. Is, uh, once a month, we send you an entire uh, drill plug. You think of it as being a gym in a box is where we send this material to work for you, for you to work the entire month. Each and every month, all this new historically verified accurate stuff 
and you get to play with it. And uh, just beyond that, hopefully, if uh, you're not into the training aspect, hopefully we still had enough history and uh, you know tidbits in there to uh, tantalize you to some degree. Like, share, subscribe, support the podcast, or any of those other things, uh, and just to have a hell of a day, crew. Well, if you dig what we just discussed today, uh, I'd like to invite you to like and subscribe to the podcast. Hell, support it if you want. I'm not your dad. Do what you want. And if you're a glutton for punishment, uh, just visit our website, ExtremeSelfProtection.com. You'll find links to the blog, all of our products, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more pages of like musics. <laughs>